You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we are joined by Sean Stevenson. Sean Stevenson is a podcaster, science educator, and best-selling author. Sean is the author of the international best-selling book, Sleep Smarter, and is the creator of the number one health and fitness podcast, The Model Health Show. Sean is the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. Sean's latest book is called Eat Smarter, which we will be discussing today. Amongst the topics, we will be talking about why our brains become inflamed, how to prevent cognitive diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia, the best foods to eat for brain health and cognitive function, why weight loss is more confusing than we first thought this was really interesting. Apparently, it's not just all about the calories. How to lose weight effectively supplements what supplements should we be taking should we be taking any how food impacts relationships and we will be talking about much much more in this episode with sean today it was great to chat with sean it's been a long time coming he's a true true gentleman and we had a fun time today so guys i hope you enjoy this episode with sean stevenson I really enjoyed recording it. A lot of good information in here. So, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. Sean, you've got a new book, Eat Smarter, which is number one on Amazon, I see at the moment. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's it's a crazy, crazy experience. I uh, just came out, you know, the end of December, uh, first week of January, became the number one new release in America which is for a health book right now where there's so much going on in the world and, you know, the politics and the fanfare, you know, is on the same list of all the books sold with, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Barack Obama, but it just shows very clearly that people, this matters to us, you know, our health and the health of our families and our communities. So I'm just blown away by it. Yeah. It's amazing, man. It's, it's a great time of the year. People, you know, with the pandemic and things going on new, new year, new me, as the saying goes, but a great time for people to sort of reflect on these things. And I know for you personally, I mean, we started this podcast back in 2018, about three years now. And I remember when we started the model health shows number one year at the time I checked it, it's still at the top of the chart. So you've been putting out great content for a long time. So, man, I'm excited to uh, start this off with you. Um, so in Eat Smarter, one of the things which I saw in the book was that you talk about this malnourished brain um, that is so pertinent at the moment. Um, you know, you see things like uh, Alzheimer's, like, dep- uh, like uh, dementia. You see all these sort of cognitive diseases, which are uh, horrendous things, which we all want to avoid. 
So I wonder, you know, could you talk into this um, malnourished brain we've got and, you know, talk about perhaps why our brain is using so much energy? Absolutely. You know, the brain is, is fascinating. Uh, theoretical physicist Michio Kaku said, the human brain is the most powerful entity in the known universe, the most powerful organ, and it has infinite potential. But the crazy thing is we don't really have an owner's manual on how it all works. For most of us, you know, we have no idea that we have this powerful entity. And the cool thing is we all have one. We have all this potential. And so what I wanted to do, big part of Eat Smarter, Eating Smarter is to fuel that process of really activating our genius, you know, and the human brain, just, and also getting folks this information, but in a way that makes sense. And albeit fun, actually, to learn about how all this stuff works. And this was the disconnection from when I was in college. There was no, it wasn't a visceral, like palpable connection between all of the stuff I'm learning in textbooks to my real life. And so this incredible, powerful entity that we all have, infinitely powerful in all the different ideas it can create, uh, everything that we see, even as we're seeing each other right now in the rooms that we're in and the technology is all from ideas, you know? And here's the thing, the neurons themselves, you know, the dendrites, the axon terminals, the white matter, the gray matter, all the things that makes up your brain that enables you to have thought, feeling, and emotion is made from food. Every part of our brain is made from food. And so how does this all come into play? Like what are the big meta things? Number one, the human brain is the most ravenous organ in our bodies. It only takes up about 2% of our overall mass but it consumes about 25% of the calories we consume. It is just constantly pulling in every bit of nutrition that it can to keep the lights on, literally. Like it's running so many processes. So that's number one. It's made from food. It is ravenous for nutrition coming in to perform all of these, like literally trillions of processes that's happening. Um, and being that it's so hungry, there's also this kind of catch 22 thing with it though. The brain is the most powerful entity in the known universe, but it's also one of the most delicate things in the known universe, all right? It's as delicate as my feelings after watching, you know, Soul. Soul just came out on <laughs> Disney Plus. Like you feel emotional, like it's a very delicate organ. And it's actually, the, the human brain itself is about the consistency of soft butter, all right? It's very, very delicate. And nature provided, didn't come to the party without gifts. We've got this external helmet protecting. It's the only organ fully encased in protective bone, which we call, you know, the skull, cranium. But this, that's from external intrusions. There's also massive risk for your body. Anything you can consume, damaging your brain. So you have something called the blood-brain barrier. It's an internal security system that only allows in very, very specific nutrients, all right? And we call this neuronutrition, like the brain has its own diet. So on the side of, of, of cognitive performance, you mentioned a couple of things, Alzheimer's, dementia, these issues are skyrocketing at levels that are just unbelievable. So I wanna to touch on this really quickly then point to something much, much bigger. Alzheimer's is inching its way into the top five causes of death in the United States. 
All right. And I think because of the movie, you know, like the notebook or what we might see on commercials, or even if we have for folks who actually have a loved one who has a severe uh, case of Alzheimer's, it's not just they forget names and, you know, maybe forget where they are. It's not about memories. That's not just that. You can literally forget how to swallow food. All right. So many things can degrade. It is a treacherous, devastating condition. And the rates are soaring. And this is something that we didn't see even in recent decades. And the question is why? Why is this happening? Many books right now, my, some of my colleagues, they're addressing prevention. Like how do we prevent Alzheimer's? How do we prevent uh, uh, dementia? How do we prevent other you know, uh, mental health related issues? But, and we touch on that, but I also talk about how do we make it work better? How do we make our brain perform even better? How do we improve our memory within days? How do we improve our ability to stay focused even under stress? That's what I really focused on, put the emphasis on because it's gonna affect and improve all the conditions as well that can degradate the brain, but also for just the average person who wants to perform better. So one of those things, this is, we're going to start here. This is the meta perspective, and then we'll dive in on specific nutrients, but our brain is made of the nutrients we eat. The number one nutrient that your brain is made of is water. It's about 80% water. It's the most water-rich organ next to your lungs. This is so important, but people really don't get this, but they will with Eat Smarter doing what it's doing right now. They're really going to understand this. Now, the human brain itself being that it's 80% water, it is just absolutely ravenous and hungry for hydration. And one of the studies that I shared in the book, just a 2% drop in your baseline hydration levels leads to significant decline in cognitive performance, specifically for things like spatial awareness. So like just your body being able to manage itself and, and know itself in space, uh, decrease in ability to focus, decreased ability uh, uh, decreased reaction time. All of these things take place when we become dehydrated. It's not a joke. It's not just like, you know, you need a drink to, you know, fuel your workout. Literally, we become dumber when we're dehydrated, you know? So this needs to be a, a, a number one tenant. It's the number one nutrient the brain is looking for. And we have to provide an adequate amount of hydration, but not just that. This couples with what do we do on the, the other nutrient side? It's not just water. And I got to make this clear. H2O, I was, I was taught this. I paid to get this education. That's miseducation. <laughs> I, was, I paid my college professor to tell me that everybody needs to make sure they drink pure water. Drink H2O. H2O does not exist anywhere in nature. It doesn't exist. And I know people are like, well, what is this? this is crazy. What are you talking about? Just hold your horses. I've never, I probably never said hold your horses ever in my life. It's because I was thinking about my grandmother. She would say that. <laughs> hold your horses. It's not that water doesn't exist or that it's not this entity. Water is known as a universal solvent. Water doesn't exist by itself in nature. It's always integrating with things. And when we're talking about water in nature, you will always find water integrated with other minerals, with minerals. That's what creates the structure of the water and the ability for it to modulate and hydrate your cells and your extracellular fluid is based on the minerals 
in your body, in your tissues, and also that's in the water. All right, this is so important. And so a couple of these key minerals that actually enable your brain to be hydrated properly, it re it's required, number one, sodium, all right? We hear about sodium all the time, you know, but we also, we generally relate it to salt, right? Because it is the biggest dietary intake, I think for most folks is, is sodium, but in the process of heavily refined salt, but salt is not sodium, sodium chloride, but it is, there's a big percentage, about 40%, of sodium, but sodium here, the reason I'm bringing this up, listen, these are electrolytes, electro, listen to how cool that shit sounds, <laughs> electrolyte. <laughs> we have to have electrolytes for your brain cells to have electricity, that conduction, and to talk to each other. This is not a joke. This isn't about a Gatorade commercial. We need <laughs> electrolytes literally for our brain to communicate with itself. For your brain cells to talk, we have to have electro lights, keep the lights on. So sodium, and this is one of the studies straight out of Sleep Smarter. Researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as an on-off switch in the brain for specific neurotransmitters to support optimal function and protect the brain against numerous diseases, all right? They said it functions as an on-off switch for neurotransmitters. So for your brain to talk to each other, to, to itself and also your entire nervous system, this is not something to take lightly, right? But we are oftentimes, again, overabundance of heavily refined sodium coming through water. I mean, uh, through our food system, processed food system. But we do want to be adamant about improving our intake of sodium from higher quality sources. They're like whole foods that are rich in water have a, a great source of sodium as well, you know, coming from our food. But there's also a wide range of high quality salts. And I actually do a little section of the book breaking down all the different nuances with salts. But this, is, this one is even more important in my perspective because it's the number one mineral deficiency. Sodium is pretty easy to get, even if it's a, a chitty sodium, all right? That's a technical term, all right, chitty. Shitty, I'm saying shitty. Like, I don't <laughs> want to people, what is chitty and go and look it up. But instead, not that sodium, you know, but we could still get it. But this one is even, even more important in my perspective. This is a fascinating new, this was a new study when I was putting Eat Smarter together. This was published in the journal Neuron. This is one of the most prestigious journals about cognitive performance and brain health. They found that magnesium is able to restore critical brain plasticity and improve cognitive performance. Magnesium is an electrolyte. It's another electrolyte. And 60% of United States citizens are chronically deficient in magnesium. All right. Brains are literally not working to their greatest capacity, but not just that. And I'm going to pass the mic back to you. I want people to get this, dude. Magnesium is responsible for over 650 biochemical processes in the human body that we are aware of now. What that means is 60 folks, 60% 60 of folks of our citizens who are deficient, that's 650 things their body cannot do can, or cannot do properly because of this deficiency in magnesium. And again, we're in a place where we are not communicating 
with each other. We're not managing our own health and wellness. We're not able to make rational, logical decisions right now. And we wonder why, you know, our brains are literally starving. And the last point here, I'm gonna pass this back to you. <laughs> this was a double blind, placebo controlled study published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. This is a gold standard of study. This isn't an observational study. This isn't a theoretical model. Randomized, double blind, <laughs> placebo controlled study found that improving magnesium levels in adult test subjects who already had cognitive decline, these folks were between the age of 50 and 70, improving their magnesium levels, reversed brain aging by, a, by nine years. It made their brains effectively nine years younger in its performance by improving their magnesium levels, all right? This stuff is very simple, it's cool, but are we doing it? People need to know these things, how important these simple things are and all the benefits they can get from it. And you know, if we want, we can hit some, like what are some good sources of magnesium? Yeah, I was just gonna jump into that. I got a lot of thoughts. So in terms of those things which you talked about, the things which we're deficient in, are you advising that we're getting this through whole foods? Are you advising that we take a, a supplement? What, what are the go-to sources that we should be using? Great question. So, you know, my, a big tenet, and I base this, this, this is not based on a preference. This isn't based on, you know, a, a theory. This is based on evolutionary biology. What have humans been consuming the longest that have enabled us to evolve to the place that we are today? Right now, we're seeing a degradation in our evolutionary process, right? If we see that, you know, that picture is coming up in my mind, like you see the, the person evolving from, you know, walking around with their knuckles on the ground to, you know, be standing up as a man, you know, homo erectus, we're becoming like homo domesticus. <laughs> like we're just, we're, we're devolving, you know, in a sense. And this isn't like, again, I'm not just saying this, here in the United States, for example, we, when we're talking about health, we are the sickest nation in the history of the world, self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. Let me be clear, self-inflicted. This isn't based on deficiency. This is self-inflicted disease. We have over 200 million citizens who are overweight or obese. If it, it, like that number, it doesn't make sense. Like you can't even grasp 200 million. What? 42%, I'm sorry, 43% clinically obese. We're on our on pace right now, just within the next few years to hit 50% of our citizens being clinically obese. It makes no sense. My family, we'll just say I have 40 close relatives. 38 of them are obese. I come from that. It's where I come, I mean, growing up, many of my family members are, are doing so much better now, thriving. Uh, man, I'm just getting a little uh, emotional, but even my little brother, you know, it's just like, he's just thriving, doing so much better because we come from an environment that is, in, not just incur the, the best word is it's an environment that is literally it immerses you and encourages sickness and encourage you to go through the drive-through window right that's all we knew this we're, we're inundated with it and so oh, wow sorry it's got a little bit emotional ah ah okay so Knowing this and knowing the, the evolution of, of humans, you know, like what, what is the thing that we have been doing the longest? 
to go back and answer this question. Food, food is the place that we've been getting all of these nutrients. And being that over 200 million Americans are overweight or obese, 135 million Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic right now. Clearly the way that we've been going about getting our nutritional needs met has been, has been mutated, it's been twisted. Through food, and this is the big, here, let me give everybody, this is the big kind of like aha moment. When I was in my, again, my nutritional science class that I paid for, I paid to get this education from my teacher who was a brilliant guy. But if you take a very smart person and you teach them the wrong shit, they become amazing at teaching the wrong shit. He was bordering on obesity himself and he's the nutritional science teacher. And he wasn't sneaking off doing stuff, you know, like mainlining like honey buns. He was doing what he was teaching. We were taught the food pyramid. So he just feels like, I'm just not doing it enough. I gotta do it more, I need more brown. I need more brown, right? More whole grains, more whole grains. So that's the, th that's the thing about the, the system. And in that system, I was taught, you need to make sure, number one, calories are the key. Calories of mm. the boss. Mm. And in Eat Smarter, we talk about epicaloric control. It's this new term I'm impressing upon culture. There are seven proven things that control what calories do in your body, independent of your calorie intake, controlling your metabolism. And, you know, maybe we could- We'll definitely get that later. Yeah, we'll definitely get that but I was taught that you need to get your vitamins and minerals, vitamins and minerals. Bro, we were told to get B12, for example. There's like four B12s. <laughs> magnesium there's like eight of them vitamin c there's multiple vitamin c's omega-3s there's many different types vitamin a many type everything it's not just one thing and so when you get your little when you let me calm down when you get your supplement your multiple multivitamin the synthetic form of this nutrient or even if it's whole food based what well let me take that back whole food base is going to have a more diverse of these things, but specifically what people are taking, what jumped into my mind, I'll just share like Centrum, you know, your Centrum Silver or your Flintstone vitamins, which is what I grew up on. This synthetic form of the nutrient, is that the vitamin C that you really need? Is that the magnesium you're deficient in? Probably not. It's hitting one note. Food has many. Food has the plethora of different types and forms of these different foods, but they also have what are called biopotentiators, right? These cofactors that enable your body to actually use them. There's an intelligence. We, our genes expect us to eat food. That's how we evolved. There's a relationship there between our DNA and the food that we eat. Supplement, mm, not so much, but am I against supplements? No, not at all. Of course, I mentioned like food-based, that's where we wanna lean to, but even some synthetic things can be helpful. Medications could be helpful. But as soon as we start creating a system that's built around abnormality and things that our genes have never seen before throughout our evolution, the more we're getting away from being human, the more we're getting away from humanity. And so last point here, you know, is ultimately, you know, in this sphere, food first, that's the tenet. So we can get all of the different things and in a way that works together, it's more of even a bioavailable supplements to supplement an already on point whole food approach, right? Mm -hmm. so that's why they're called supplements. But I know when I was trying to get healthy, 
I just was investing in supplements, you know, damn the food, you know, I just get these, you know, multivitamins and some amino acids and, you know, but food first supplements, and then we can get into some of the other things as well. You know, there's topical applications, even for magnesium, you know, and some folks, because it's such a, it, because it does so much and it's such a buffer of stress, it gets used like that. Your body runs through magnesium so quickly. So that might be something to supplement, but we want to do the best we can with that, you know, get something that's as close to natural as possible, you know? So I hope that answers your question. It's some big ideas here, you know, for us to, to understand. And there's many little nuances that go along with it. Yeah, man, I'm loving this. So we've uh, sort of talked through, you know, I mean, w- what's going wrong in the human brain. We've just given, you know, a sort of overview of this topic. Let's get nitty gritty. As far as this sort of cognitive uh, aspect goes, could you give some real concrete examples of food recommendations for these things like magnesium for, for sodium you mentioned for, for these things which should be staples in our diet for healthy cognitive functioning? Absolutely. So uh, just I'm going to give some quick, simple tenets. So with magnesium, for example, nature gives instructions. And even in the book, we talk about the science of flavor. Even flavors are indicators of certain nutrients. But color also is an indicator of certain nutrients, certain antioxidants, magnesium, anything that's green is going to be a good source of magnesium. So green leafy vegetables, spinach, kale, uh, collard, a Swiss chard, the list goes on and on. So many different types, uh, even the smaller greens, you know, like cilantro and parsley, these are all going to be great sources of magnesium. And also the green, like superfood algaes that have become so popular, but actually been used for thousands of years, thousands of years. We're talking like Chad, um, early civilizations in Africa, uh, the Mesoamerica, the Aztecs. Spirulina was a primary food, a protein source. So spirulina, uh, chlorella, AFA, blue-green algae, these are all dense sources of magnesium as well. But that might not be a good on-ramp if somebody's like coming right from KFC to like hear some, <laughs> you know, spirulina or whatever. So chocolate is actually a really great source of magnesium. So I'm a big proponent just being in this space for you know almost 20 years now working with so many people we want to do things that people are already doing just upgrade that thing it's very difficult people want to change but they don't want to change that much they want change but they don't want to change that much and it's just it's just our conditioning we are very much always seeking automation and comfort this is what the brain is always doing so what if we can just upgrade the chocolate somebody's eating you know, reduce like whatever kind of sugar, we at least get a higher quality sweetener, you know, maybe it is, you know, organic cane sugar, but a smaller amount, more cacao, like the, you know, where chocolate actually comes from. Let's just, you know, and plus you're getting magnesium, you're getting tryptophan, you're getting, you know, uh, serotonin pre- precursors, you know, it's, 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 it's abundant in antioxidants, the list goes on and on. The ORAC value is crazy. Uh, also, nuts and seeds are great sources of magnesium, hemp seeds specifically. You know, there's a bunch of them, bunch, bunch of them I list out in Eat Smarter. One other one that I want to share uh, in that same vein with cognitive performance is omega-3, DHA, and EPA specifically, not ALA. There's a difference. Again, in my practice, 10 years ago, I would have people coming in, 
just get some flaxseed oil or, you know, have some chia seeds. It's not the same thing. The brain you have express, remember I said neuronutrition, the blood brain barrier has an express pathway in for DHA and EPA, more so than just about any nutrient besides water, because it's so freaking important. DHA and EPA are structural fats for the brain that enable the brain cells to have structure, plasticity, so they can evolve and change, and also transduction, so your brain cells can talk to each other. That's how important they are. This is not a joke. One of the studies that I mentioned in the book, they took MRIs and actually looked at people's brains and found that the folks who had the lowest intake of DHA and EPA, omega-3s, had the highest rate of brain shrinkage. You literally, you're, you literally lose your brain. You lose <laughs> your freaking brain if you're not getting these things in. The, that border bare minimum amount was 1.2 teaspoons a day. Anything below that, accelerated brain shrinkage. The American Journal of Clinical Nutrition did a study. So that's degradation side, but what about the performance side? Simply adding in DHA and EPA supplementation for test subjects. Usually these things are coming in the form of fish oil, by the way, within a matter of days led to improved uh, memory, improved uh, ability to pay attention and to focus, and even under stress. All right. These things make your brain work better, but are you getting it? Are you doing it? So the journal neurology, last food, food first. So where's the DHA EPA coming from? The egg yolks, grass-fed beef, because this is the, these are the animal foods. These are the animal, it comes from animal sources. Plant source of omega-3s that again, I thought was adequate in my practice. That's ALA, but it does some cool stuff too, but it does not feed your brain does not feed your brain like DHA and EPA does. It's not even remotely close. It's so important for your brain, DHA. Your body can convert some of the ALA you take in through flax seeds and chia seeds and hemp seeds and borage oil into DHA, but you lose upwards of 80 to even 90% in the conversion process. For you to get the amount of DHA and EPA you need to avoid brain shrinkage, you're going to have to have like five cups of chia seeds a day. And to, number one, you might as well move into a Johnny on the spot. You might as well move into a porta potty and just put your office up in there because you're just going to be chitting all day because it's that gel, you know. But also, it's just not feasible. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And what are the also the ramifications of trying to get it all in through that? What are going to be the side effects? It doesn't make sense. So, your body can convert some, you have to have a source. Food first, and I'm going to get to it if somebody's doing a vegan or vegetarian protocol, for sure, because again, this is a unifier, but the biggest source most people know about is fish, fatty for fish, sure. salmon, mackerel, sardines, but even more so fish eggs. And this is working with one of the top neuroscientists who's in the lab looking at the brain. Caviar, salmon, roe have three times more DHA and EPA than the fish itself. I'm not a personal big fan, but I can't talk about things that I have not used or I'd be out of integrity from my perspective. So of course I've had those things, not a fan. I don't get it. I don't get why, you know, so people have a, you know, they love it. Wonderful source of DHA, even just for pure getting the nutrition can be great. So uh, fish eggs, uh, fatty fish, fish oil supplements, 
99% of the studies are done on fish oil supplements. And I have them in the book. They're going to trip you out. They're, they're absolutely going to trip you out. Below that is krill oil, K-R-I-L-L, -L, krill. Some microscopic shrimp. It's become very popular today. Very rich in astaxanthin, which makes your body absorb the omegas even better. Keeps them more stable. So microscopic shrimp, we're, depending on pe where people's ethics lie, you know, with their vegan or vegetarian approach, that might be the thing you need. And it might be a game changer for you. Maybe you've been struggling with some aspect of your diet and you have to find that thing and be honest. Don't let a diet framework make you hurt yourself. Maybe krill oil can heal something. But then a full plant version, plant source is an algae oil. And we do know that it has a DHA and EPA in there, but we don't have like randomized controlled trials, clinical evidence, like for real, real yet. Studies are being done. We know it's in there. But at minimum, if somebody is listening right now and you're doing a vegan protocol, you're, you have a vegan lifestyle, I implore you, please get yourself an algae oil. Get yourself a source of DHA and EPA. Your brain is craving it. You have to have it. It's one of the most important things for cognitive performance, but also protecting you from degradation of your brain. I love this, man. I, I, I really love this. So I want to jump into um, some of the stuff you talked about. You've, you've given this uh, tale that you were in this nutrition class. You had this uh, teacher teaching you these principles. He, he's got his uh, nutritional triangle. There's always been this big focus on calories. You know, we're in yeah. the new year, year. Everybody is, is you know, consciously uh, paying attention to their calories I wonder, could you jump into sort of this misconstrued science of calories that people are very focused on now? Absolutely. This is such an important topic because, again, when when we're taught about, in, in my again, I paid for the education. <laughs> Day one, we're taught that if somebody wants to manage their body composition, manage their weight, all they have to do is manage calories, right? So you want to simply burn more calories than you're taking in. Very simple. And, but that idea about calories is more one-sided than like an elephant being on a, a seesaw with a chihuahua. Like it's like <laughs> so out of balance from reality because the idea of the calorie itself is a new invention. Like this, this thing has not, when we look at the very physical culture of the ancient Greeks and Romans, they didn't know what a calorie was. They just ate food. And can you imagine, guys, can you just imagine just eating food, just eating food without worrying about all the, the numbers and the red tape around it? What a feeling. <laughs> but what I did was I always ask, where did it come from? Where did the idea come from? That's kind of indoctrinated so many people of, as to its importance. And when it was discovered, I, I take people through the history of the calorie in the book. It's really fascinating and fun. But when, when, when the calorie was discovered, it, it had nothing to do with nutrition, nothing. It was used in physics and engineering. And we talk about where that came from. But it made the pivot into nutritional science, thanks in large part to Wilbur Atwater, which he's a bit of a side note, even though we do use the Atwater system for labeling on products, which is just, it's so massively flawed. That's a whole other conversation. Maybe we might touch on it. But where it really became a part of our world and our lexicon today, what is just a part of our culture, the importance of calories, was thanks in large part to a woman named Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters, who wrote a nutritional bestseller back in the earlier part of the 1900s. 
it sold over 2 million copies. And at this time, dude, that's like everybody who can read had this book, you know? And so I went back and I actually read these like old fangled writings and I I could not believe, I I literally, it, it messed me up. It messed me up for like two days. I could not believe what I was reading because those beliefs were embedded into our culture. They're so deeply embedded now. And now I can see where they come from. Our food is the, as far as the human, the human body and the, the makeup of the brain, some of the things we're talking about, it is one of the most dynamic, powerful, multifaceted thing in our universe. Like it makes us who we are. When we're seeing each other, we're seeing the food we, we've eaten. Yeah. We're made of food. But now Dr. Peters made the switch from food being this dynamic, powerful, multifaceted entity to being numbers, all right? She said in her book, you will no longer eat food, you will eat calories of food. You will no longer eat a slice of bread, you'll eat 100 calories of bread. You'll no longer eat a, a piece of pie, you'll eat 350 calories of pie. Now it's looking at food in terms of numbers and not food being the thing that controls your hormones, being the thing that controls your brain cells and your ability to have thoughts. It's no longer that, it's numbers. And she also, in her writings, this is when the association connecting food and morality really became a big part of our culture, relating food to things like punishment and sin. And your ability, your inability to manage your weight is a character defect. It has nothing to do with the system because we know calories are the issue. You just need to have less calories. She battled her weight her whole life herself. That's the side note, you know? But she relented if a woman who's her, who's her height just eats 1,200 calories a day, she's going to be healthy, maintain her weight the way that she wants. It's not true. And also, she related something else. And this is what I would see in my practice as well, relating hunger to diet success. If you're hungry, then it's working. And that should be the goal. And she tied that in psychologically to encourage it because this was a time during like food rationing, you know, around the time of like World War, the, the World War I. And um, she relented that every hunger pang you, you feel, you should have a double joy knowing you're saving the hunger pangs in someone else, right? And all of these twisted ideas that have, again, largely integrated our culture. So what I'm going to share really quickly is these are things that are epicaloric. These are epi meaning like your epidermis, like above your dermis, like above. It's the upper level, like epigenetics, epicaloric controllers these things control what calories do in your body. So I'm going to share two of them. There's really seven that are, again, clinically proven. So regardless of your caloric intake, if one of these seven factors is malfunctional, it can change your rate of calorie burn by hundreds or even thousands of calories a week. All right. One of them is a master regulator of your entire endocrine system and your metabolism. Located in your brain, it's called the hypothalamus. It's largely considered to be the master gland of your endocrine system. So it's integrating, now sorry about the noise, it's 2021, if you can hear it in the background. <laughs> That's you know. So there's a, I think there's a truck outside. But this is, this is the master gland integrating your endocrine system, your system of hormones, and your nervous system together. All right, so it's taking data from your external and internal environment and creating responding chemistry in your body. 
One of the biggest issues in the world right now is neuroinflammation, inflammation of the brain, specifically hypothalamic inflammation. And we go through some of the most jaw-dropping studies showing what this is and what it does and the things that are causing it as well. A big part of it is our sugar intake because I mentioned the brain is so hungry for, for nutrition. Your brain has expressed past sugar gates. When you consume a meal, We'll just say, I grew up, maybe I would have a nacho with chili and cheese from 7-Eleven and a Sprite to go with it for the pain afterwards. <laughs> I can easily be bringing in 200 grams of sugar. Your brain will gladly confiscate half of the sugar calories you consume, the sugar intake, like that, like that. So you can create this neuro uh, uh, insulin resistance in your brain and associated neuroinflammation. And so- Here's the, the nuts and bolts of it to, to, to finalize this piece. Your hypothalamus controls and is in contact with your gut via the vagus nerve and many other aspects, but you know we'll just say that one aspect. And so what the data has found in one of the coolest studies in the book is that inflammation in the gut and or in the brain, the hypothalamic inflammation, your hypothalamus is sending data back and forth with your gut to tell your gut, to tell the microbes in your gut that communication, whether or not you should increase your absorption of calories or you should reduce your absorption of calories. You can eat as much food as you want, but your body will not absorb all of it. And your brain is telling your body how much of it to absorb. They don't tell you this shit in nutrition class. They don't tell you this when you're trying to cut your calories and manage your calories, that inflammation in your brain could be making you absorb more calories from your food because your brain might think you're starving because of insulin resistance. And this can slow your rate of calorie burn by hundreds or even over a thousand calories a day. This is shown very clearly in the data right now. We can have people who are the same exact height, same weight on the same diet, same exercise program, one of them can burn 100,000 more calories in a year doing the same thing versus the other person because of these epicaloric influencers and controllers. One of them is inflammation in the brain. Last one I'll share, because all of these are incredibly, you know, there's so much to them and so juicy, but this is one we can take right now. But by the way, so if you're like, how do I reduce inflammation in my brain? This is a, like I said, it's an epidemic right now. Mm. One of the coolest things, uh, one of the studies that I cited in the book was it found that Evo, extra virgin olive oil, was found to reduce neuroinflammation and actually help to, because this inflammation damages the blood brain barrier. So that means even more inflammatory things are making its way into the brain. Extra virgin olive oil was found to actually repair, help repair the blood brain barrier. What? So powerful. The, the minimum effective dose was two tablespoons a day of extra virgin olive oil. You can make some, you know, some salad dressing with it, whatever. Do a shot. I don't care. Extra virgin olive oil has remarkable benefits. But if you're not into it, I've got 25 other things, 40 other things for you to tune into. So um, that's a solution there. But the other thing that's an epicaloric controller is the type of food itself. All right. The study published in uh, Food and Nutrition Research that I kind of break down to make sense of it in the book, essentially they had folks to consume a meal of processed foods versus a meal of whole foods, okay? 
So they had some test subjects consume a meal of what they deemed to be whole foods, which was a multi-grain bread and cheddar cheese sandwich. It's <laughs> the whole, whole food, healthy version. And then they had another group of test subjects consume a processed food sandwich, which was white bread and cheese product. And cheese product, that's what most Americans eat. You know, many other places in the world as well, that's what Kraft is, Kraft Singles. They're called Kraft Singles, not Kraft Cheese, because there's not enough cheese in the cheese to legally call it cheese. What's cheese it's product? Cheese. What was a cheese product? Kraft. Do you Kraft. know about Kraft Singles? I don't. I don't. I don't think I know about this. Okay, I'll Kraft is like it. a mega, mega food company here. Uh, in the United States. So craft. So okay. they have folks to consume either whole food sandwich, processed food sandwich. And they want to see what happens with calorie expenditure by eating each different type of food. So they have them to consume the sandwiches and track the rate of caloric movement and expenditure. And here's what's, what happened. The folks and oh, I can't leave this out. <laughs> the sandwiches were the exact same amount of calories. The same amount of calories, same amount of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. On paper, it should be the same. But this is what happened. The folks consuming the processed food sandwich had a 50% reduction in rate of calorie burn versus the people who ate the whole food sandwich. All right? This processed fake food, faker than the other stuff, further removed from nature, created what I refer to as hormonal clogs. It created hormonal clogs and made their body more stingy in retaining and pulling in and holding on to the caloric energy that they consumed. And I would say it created an emergency response, triggering the body as a protective mechanism, some kind of safety issue to hold on to these, these, these calories. This is, again, independent of the caloric intake in the food. The type of food itself controls what your body's going to do with those calories, all right? So this is, these are all the things we're giving the keys to the kingdom over to people to know how it works so we can feel empowered in our food choices and stop battling about minutia and actually get to the things that actually control what food is actually doing in our bodies. Some absolutely mind-blowing stuff in here. Um, I, I got to pay my credit to you. I would love to finish off. You talk in the book. Um, and you really paint this great picture that, I mean, food, it, it impacts everything. And one of the things which I had never thought about was how food can affect our relationships, right? So I wonder, could you talk about, um, you know, what the researchers said, um, you know, what studies you've come across, talk about these in the book, about how food can impact our relationships and even our emotional intelligence? Yeah, yeah. It's, this is really the heart of the book. Because again, we tend to think about food in relationship to uh, weight, you know, our body weight, weight loss. That's the predominant thing for people when they think about diet and nutrition. More and more people are thinking about for cognitive performance. Mm. But what people do not really think about is how it affects our emotional stability, our emotional intelligence, and even our proclivity towards things like violence. The data is overwhelming in this domain. And I think I really do know the reason I even wrote this book, a big part of it is knowing the rate of violence in our, in our community, not just necessarily like hand to hand combat, but like the violence we put forth just even on the internet, you know, there's such a lack of understanding and empathy and perspective taking. We're not really getting anywhere, you know, like every matter of fact, everything keeps getting worse. 
you know, um, there are, of course, now there's, there's so many things that are thriving, by the way, I want to, I, I want to bring us back to that continuously because the news highlights all the problems. There's so much good taking place that we have access to as well. We need a, a good balance to be able to manage these problems and make it through them. But so one of the studies, and this is, so just like a meta thing here, uh, researchers at the Ohio State University wanted to see what would happen with Couples who love each other, married couples, what would happen if they have dysregulated blood sugar, if they have dysfunctional things happening with their blood sugar, how would they respond to their partner? And they had continuous glucose monitors on, right? And it's easy to have a blood sugar crash, like just eat some, you know, eat a bowl of cereal, whatever, eat something high glycemic, you're going to get a correlating crash. Or you're just going to have, you know, even if you have issues with your insulin in the first place, like again, 135 million Americans do. And so what they discovered was that as the individual's blood sugar became more and more abnormal, they had a much higher rate of aggressive uh, behavior towards their partner, less likelihood of them being able to perspective take. And they also had a dramatically decreased ability to actually solve the relationship conflict that they might be having simply because their blood sugar is unstable. All right. Now, how often is this happening in our lives? We, we got people we even love and we can't, we, we're having continuous problems because of our biological issues, not because of our, you know, belief about them. We might love them, but we can really feel like, you know, they definitely want to kill us or something. You know what I mean? So that's one, that's like a day-to-day -day issue. Now to take this a step further, our researchers at Oxford University actually did a study on prison inmates. And it's unfortunate, the circumstances. However, from the science perspective, it's a great mode, a mod modality to test things because it's a ward study where everything is controlled. And you can see direct implication. That's what a randomized controlled trial is. It's testing a specific intervention and a specific result, all right? So it's not theory. All right, so what they did was they wanted to see what would happen when they increase or improve the nutrition of prison inmates. What effect would it have potentially on behavior? Let's, let's find out. And so they gave one group of prison inmates increased nutrition in the form of vitamins, minerals, omega-3 supplementation. So not necessarily food, you know, except for the omega-3s, of course, it's probably coming through fish oil, um, but just giving them increased nutrition which again is required for cognitive performance to be able to manage your emotions. Then they gave another group of prison inmates placebo. And here's what, what happened. Over the course of the multi-month study, the prison inmates who received the increased nutrition had a 40% reduction in behavioral offenses. <laughs> and they also had a 37% reduction in violence, in violent offenses. Now, when you hear something like this, like the other researchers, because you know it's a peer-reviewed study, there's a set of researchers who could not believe that was possible. So they repeated the study. This was published in the journal Aggressive Behavior. It got almost the exact same numbers. And this is speaking directly to the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain responsible for social control, responsible for decision-making, responsible for distinguishing between right and wrong. That, that part of the brain, when it's malnourished, it doesn't work right. So now once you get those folks more nourished, their brain, they can actually 
think about it. Like, okay, if I respond this way, then this thing might happen. Let me not engage in that activity. Very simple stuff. How often are we doing this online with each other? How often are we doing this with the neighbors or like friends and family? Our brains are simply not working right. And we're not able to manage our, our emotion and our, and our, 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 our proclivity towards you know, aggression and violence. And so we keep butting heads. And so a big mission behind Eat Smarter is like, let's get our citizens healthier so we can have healthier conversations. Not to say that it's impossible when we're not well, we can absolutely have compassion for somebody when we're not feeling well or when, when we're, we can absolutely have empathy. It's just harder. It's harder. We know this in our lives experientially, but we know it very clearly in the data right now. And so that's a big mission behind this. It's kind of like the ninja, you know, the secret force behind it all. We do this stuff and transform our metabolism, get ourselves more fit and healthy. Powerful side effect is we can start to relate to people better. We can start to have more understanding and more connection, which we really need right now. Uh, this is mind-blowing stuff. I'm going to link people to Eat Smarter below in the description. So anyone that wants to just swipe up on the episode. I've got two questions left for you before we clock off. Um, I want to finish off this on just a real practical um, level. So earlier you sort of mentioned... Um, you know, you mentioned uh, almond, you mentioned nuts, you mentioned some dark chocolate, high uh, percentage dark chocolate, you mentioned fish. Uh, I just want to finish off with three really practical suggestions of, of foods right now that people should be including in their diet. And then I'll hit you with my last question. Okay. This question is, it's just wrong. You can't give me this question. There's so much. <laughs> we, need so three. much. we need three. <laughs> There's so much. And also, the fact, and this is a big part of the, the mission, it doesn't mean that the food is good for this person. True. We're really tuning back into our metabolic individuality and giving permission to, for us to test things and to see if this is something good for us or not, which many diet frameworks eliminate foods that somebody's ancestors have been eating for centuries that might be feeding a certain strain of, of microbes that's protecting them against you know, an, an autoimmune condition or whatever the case might be. Then there's other diets that are telling people to add these foods in that might be causing problems. So to answer that question is very tough, but we do, of course, I just mentioned olive oil a little bit earlier. I go through and share the things that have the broadest scope of effectiveness. And I'll just throw a couple out here, Truth. but this does not mean that you need to eat these foods, <laughs> uh, but it, it is very likely going to be helpful. Uh, one of them is, I'll just go back with the magnesium, the green leafy vegetables. What was found, you, researchers at Rush University, two servings of green leafy vegetables each day, the folks consuming at least two servings a day had brains, and this was in their, in their elderly years, had brains that were 11 years younger than their peers on average, right? Two servings of green leafy vegetables a day, all right? Spinach, bok choy, kale, collard, so many different ones. Uh, number two, I'm just going to reiterate that extra virgin olive oil because I think it's really cool. It's super simple. A lot of people know about it. We have accessibility. There's nuance with it in the sourcing we talk about, um, but that's another simple, easy goal. Two tablespoons a day, two to three, two is the minimum uh, for all that cognitive benefit. And there's also some cool things it does with your metabolism too. I share some studies on that. And the third one, oh man, this is tough. <laughs> I'll just tell you what I, because I just drank some uh, sure. in a smoothie, blueberries, blueberries. all right? Now, a lot of these things, again, people are going to know about, but by them getting this additional bits of information just makes you want to have it more. But 
compounds in blueberries were found to actually engage with genes related to regulating your body fat composition. All right. We're talking about nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics, things that are controlling genes that control your metabolism. All right. Blueberries are one of those foods that we know for certain has a really interesting impact on our genes associated with our body composition. So there you go. Man, I, I put you on the spot today, man, but I love it. My last question for you that we sign off all our podcasts with, and then man, let's, let's give these guys your socials and whatnot, is what makes a life worth living? Oh man, I'm just <laughs> gonna tell you what comes up for me. Shoot, for shoot. me, it's, 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 our, it's our family, it's our relationships, our friends. You know, we are, we're, we're social creatures, you know, we don't come here by ourselves and we definitely shouldn't try to do this thing by ourselves. And I'm saying this, this comes up for me because I definitely have suffered from lone wolf syndrome. All right. I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to save the world. That will kill you, you know, <laughs> trying to save the world by yourself. Um, it's really going to always be with and through other people. And it's, it's so good for your soul. You know, it's so good for your, 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 and just on a real granular scientific level, it's great for your, you know, your, your genes, your genes expect you to engage with other people, to have relationships and community. It's something our genes expect from us, you know, so for our mental health, our emotional stability, you know, we need that, you know, even human touch is important for the development of the brain. So for me, that's what really makes a life worth living is, is our relationships and proactively, proactively cultivating having standards and encouraging healthy relationships in our lives. Man, that was a, a beautiful answer. And let me pay my gratitude to you because you've been, you know, in and around this space for a long time. You're undoubtedly one of the best in the field through your books, your amazing podcast, The Model Health Show. Man, I'm so excited for this new book, Eat Smarter. So I just want to pay my gratitude to you, Sean, for the work in which you were doing, man. Thank you. I, I received that. Thank you so much. I love it, man. Where can these guys connect with you, Sean? Perfect. They can connect. My home online is themodelhealthshow.com. And that's the name of my show, The, the Model Health Show. And crazy, you know, again, we're, we're frequently the number one health podcast in the country. It's because we make it fun. We make it uh, uh, digestible and approachable. And, you know, again, like this is an important subject matter. Our health matters so much. So people can check out the show wherever they're listening to this awesome show. They can find the Model Health Show. And I'm on Instagram. I just really kind of got more into it this past year. But I'm at Sean Model, S-H-A-W-N, uh, Model on Instagram. And folks can pick up Eat Smarter anywhere books are sold. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Well, Amazon was sold out, but it should be back. When this is airing, it should be back in stock. Barnes & Noble, Target. Um, you know, just your independent bookstores, wherever you buy books, it's a very, very important book, very powerful, shareable and transformative. So definitely make sure to pick up a copy of Eat Smarter. Brother, this was such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Pack podcast. Just as a gentle reminder, this interview, amongst all of our other interviews, are now up on our YouTube channel for you to view in video format. If you head over there, please hit the subscribe button, as well as on iTunes, please subscribe on there to get notifications of 
our new podcast which come out every Monday and Friday. On top of that, we are on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Freedom Pact. And we have a healthy, wealthy and wise newsletter, completely free of charge, of course. There will be a link below. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. As always, if you have recommendations for how we can improve the show, what guests you would like to see on, shoot us an email, freedompact at gmail.com. Guys, thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for interacting with us. I will see you on Monday for the next episode. Why weight loss is more confusing than we first thought. This was really interesting.